This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Oh, yeah, it's feeling the pressure now, guys. Jesus, yeah, I'm, I'm the one who's now got to do an interview. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of But Why, the podcast that's all about digging into big questions and tricky topics by honest conversations. This week we're going to be looking at trauma. It's actually hilarious that I said that in a sing-songy voice when trauma is not that. And I'm going to be talking to Dr. Sarah Woodhouse. Sarah is a research psychologist, trauma specialist, author, coach and creator of the Freedom Process. Sarah researched trauma as an academic funded by the Medical Research Council for 11 years. She still researches trauma today, but now uses her work to create cutting-edge resources to help people heal. Her book, You're Not Broken, I always feel obliged to kind of put this on camera now, um, but that's only useful if you're watching the video, but you're not. her book, You're Not Broken, Break Free from Trauma and Reclaim Your Life is a gentle but useful guide to doing just that. And more importantly, Sarah and I both went to school together. I think the last time we saw each other was around about the year 2000. And uh, excitingly or controversially, Sarah went on to marry a guy from the boys' school over the road. So that for when I say her surname, that is extremely loaded for me because I know her husband. Uh, and now you're a legit, legit doctor. I think Miss um, Wainwright and the other teachers would be Ms. very... Miss Wainwright. She was terrifying, wasn't she? Oh, God, I'd forgotten. She, yeah. She was terrifying. Oh, was coming out in cold sweat. Yeah. She was terrifying, yeah. She was completely terrifying. But she'd be very proud of you, I think. You're a doctor. I think so. Who knows? She never looked that happy to me. No, but at the time at school, the only person they were kind of reeling out as the, the like alumni from the hire is Linda Bellingham, who is the actress in the, oh, in yeah. the OPSO adverts. Oh, so good. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I could go off on a massive tangent about our school, but it's kind of interesting to me that researching you and thinking about the idea of tr- actually, you know what, before I get into that, I'm going to do my lighthearted mm. question. So as we're going to go straight deep. Um, how are you really? What star sign are you? And what's your favourite crisp? Oh, such a good question. How am I really? I am really Okay. Great. I really am. It's been a really bumpy few years in our house, in our family, um, but I'm okay. We moved back to the UK uh, about six months ago from Australia. How long were you in Australia for? it was a relief to be back. We were there for three years and um, and it was really tough. Really? It was. I'm, 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 I feel like I can be more, the more I'm back, the more open I am about just how difficult it was. Um for me and therefore for the kids because of course I'm the one trying to shepherd them through this experience mm-hmm. um so yeah it was a bit tough but now I'm okay I'm happy to be home I'm enjoying the English spring oh 
How did you end up in Australia? Uh, Brexit. Ah. Yeah, just left. Just, uh, oh, it's funny. Well, you know, Neil, my husband, it's yeah. so weird that you know him. <laughs> he, I'm, I'm, I'm very political. He's not. Um, I studied politics. I worked for the, for the Lib Dems for a little while. Um, he's not particularly political, but Brexit really got him. I still re- I remember him like sobbing in front of the TV when it happened. Wow. And at the same time, a friend of ours who you also know had just moved to LA. And I think because she'd done it, we both thought, oh, that's all right. You could just move abroad with three kids. It's not that hard. And then um, it transpired. It actually is quite hard. It mm. also transpired that... I I have a I have a trauma history mm-hmm. and which I knew of course I knew um and what became very clear is that if you have a trauma history it's it's what I'd done is work very very hard to establish a secure base and a secure attachment at home so I had my routine I had my friends I had my mm. home you know just these really important things and and because I felt so empowered and I was in such a good space I thought yes yeah, sod it let's go to Australia mm. And, and of course, you it, know, it was, it was, it did. Yeah. It was just, it was really hard. So I am so happy to be back. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Wow. What a thing to have done. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you know what? Uh, I've got so many different things to say, but my husband had a business seven years ago that went terribly wrong, you know, upended us, got us in financial trouble, challenged our marriage, et cetera, et cetera. And actually, we were just about at a point in our lives where we could deal with that kind of, and at least the, all the things we learned from that very traumatic experience have have yeah helped shape us in the next chapter. I suppose sometimes you have to go to quite dark places, don't you, to um to learn. Yeah, it's just so true. My daughter said to me yesterday, she's having a bit of a tricky time at school, and and I said it, everything's always all right. And she wailed, it's not whatever. And I was like, no, honestly, the weirdest thing about life is that it's always okay. And that's been my experience. And it's mad that I believe that. Of course I do. I hope you can feel that as you read the book. But my experience of life is that no matter how dark it gets, somehow it's always Mm. okay. Weird. I've got a a, um, sign that I had made which says everything will be okay. And it it always is. It always always is. is. It's so weird, isn't it? Yeah, and yeah. my biggest learning, I think, from the last couple of years has been to try and stop not wasting energy, but I put, I'm prone to putting a lot of energy into being quite anxious and into controlling as a, as a coping strategy. And so often those things I've poured all that energy into have never come to anything. So I'm really yeah. trying to go, yeah, okay, mull this thing over, think about it, but don't do that like deep spiral of rumination because chances are by next week that thing that you were wrangling is is changed or evaporated and it's just a waste of time it's a total waste of time and I can go I can get I can wax lyrical about this because really when when I dive into that space so when I ruminate and I worry basically it means I've been triggered Mm. it means it means I've gone into it I'm afraid so what I need to do is just take a beat and, and give myself a cuddle and help myself feel safe right regulate my nervous system all that stuff um, it's taken me so many years to realize that because all, all I really need to do in life to be happy is let go mm. and go with the flow mm. and and really just relax just relax as much as you can let go of control and just flow with it all yeah you know and let go of the outcome but I've, I obviously I forget that on a daily basis well, always <laughs> so that was what I was going to ask you when I was preparing for this and 
reading a little bit about your trauma history and thinking about mine, it's quite sad and weird and interesting that at the time when we last knew each other, we were probably deeply experiencing those traumatic things. And that's quite an, a crazy thing about that chapter of teenage years at school. You're kind of going through life, but there are so many like entrenched things beginning to be formed and, and things that you believe about yourself and patterns with your family. Yeah, and it's quite bizarre now for us to then meet up however many years later, both hopefully having done a lot of work to try and heal some of that. Yeah, it is odd, isn't it? It's funny even thinking back to that time because I think teenage years are just bizarre, aren't they? There's a there's an intensity to them, but also a lack of authenticity somehow because you just don't, well, not everyone, and obviously we're trying to raise our kids in a different way to give them a language to communicate about how they're feeling. But I think for so many of us, it's internalized. Mm. So you look back on this in just crazy, crazy intense time of trauma and maladaptive coping and all this stuff. And, and at the same time, there's almost a silence around it. I don't know about you, but I wasn't really communicating with anyone. Not at all. Not at all. Yeah. And I I think that will have changed generationally because I don't think we had the language. Yeah. I I wouldn't, I don't think I even understood how to describe feeling anxious or worried until quite a lot later. And, you know, there is all this kind of, we we were quite similar at school, like doing gentle rebellion, pushing the boundaries, (laughs) but not really being super naughty because that's that's exactly it. Yeah. But, you know, for me to even do that, because I'm definitely an inherent kind of good girl, it's, I just, someone should have said, are you okay? Because I Mm -hmm. I really wasn't. And I'm sure in every classroom, there was many, well, lots of us going through similar things. Oh, so many. And I'm sure if you asked my parents, that would be their biggest regret. Of course, they would have said, are you all right, darling? How was school? But they'd have been met with a fine. Mm. It was fine. And I think mum talks, my mum now talks, I don't think she would mind me saying this, but does talk a lot about her instinct and how now we're kind of living in this um, version of motherhood where we are all being encouraged to listen to and trust Mm -hmm. our instincts. But that just wasn't a language they used. And so she'll she'll say, you know, I had an instinct or, but she just did, it it just wasn't a thing then. It was just crash on, hope for the best. I mean, all she ever used to say to me was have a hot bath and a cup of tea, which let's be honest, is fantastic advice, but is not a cure-all for everything. No, exactly. I mean, that does, it is actually bizarrely super grounding and exactly in the, in the short term, what you should be doing. That's it. Do you think that the, are you comfortable saying anything, anything more about the things that you've recovered from or not? Oh, completely comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to say the, what yeah. what it is that we're kind of dancing around? It's eating disorder kind of, yeah, an eating yeah, disorder. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, I have a history of trauma. So, and for that, for, for me, that looks like relational trauma. So primarily it was molestation when I was young. Um, and I have, again, it's that silence, you know, reacting and having such a strong reaction to it internally, but not telling anyone. Um, and then going to this huge school, uh, I just went into free fall. You know, the bulimia started almost as soon as I got there. Really? I, I couldn't cope. And and that's what I, you know, this is what I work in now is, is helping people understand that if you have a relational trauma, so if the trauma happened within the context of a relationship, which for, which 
so much childhood trauma is, right? Mm-hmm. If you think about what's going on in the home, um, family dysfunction, all, all of that kind of stuff, it's often relational. So the outcome of that is that you find relationships really, really, really hard. So I thought I was going mad. I just can't do this. I can't make friends. I don't get it. I, you know, I just had overwhelming anxiety. It, 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 at the, even at the thought of needing to be friends with someone or, or and just how do I do it? I don't understand how I do it and of course you know as I've got older I've understood what that's about and what mechanisms were going on but as, as we've said you know it just it wasn't the time when you spoke about how you felt and it certainly wasn't a time for me when I was able to find the language mm. to say what had happened uh so I just it, I just I mean I spiraled to, it, I don't know if that even sums it up it started with bulimia um quickly I, I was very very anorexic by the age of about 19 um and then a lot of the stuff that comes along with that so very dysfunctional drinking um very dysfunctional relationships you know romantic relationships I mean um panic attacks it it, it just wasn't pretty it, it really wasn't and then interestingly I'm I we met Neil at Glastonbury he was with Johnny Heard. do you remember Johnny yes. Heard? Yeah, they were at Glastonbury together and I walked past, I think he was charging his phone and, and that was almost the beginning of me moving out of it because I, I'm, I met someone I felt safe with because I suppose in part because there was a history there because at school Neil and I had been really good mates, mm-hmm. really, really genuinely good. I mean, everyone was friends with Neil, I don't know if you remember that, but we were good friends and, and I, I think I saw him. So it was the first time I'd had a romantic relationship where I, I knew someone's history I could picture him at 11 getting on the bus and it just there was a, there was a safety to it that mm. I hadn't experienced with any other men um and that was probably the I would say the beginning of me of me getting well because I wanted to be well f- yeah d- f- to have kids as much as anything mm. you know that's the truth I, I obviously did I knew that I couldn't pass on my dysfunction so that was the catalyst and it, and it's so strange for me sitting here as a kind of you know I, we, we were in in and around the same circles and you for me I'm crying because this is how what I do <laughs> um but you I just look back at all those times and you for me would have been one of the people that I saw as as being super popular and cool and having a great time and and it just shows the madness of it doesn't it it shows it does just show the madness of it and I just yeah I just I'm like in my mind going around various situations you know house parties hanging out at the bus park and just thinking, well, what was the internal dialogue for all those people? And this kind of feeling that we all could have helped one another if we'd even have had the language to do it. But we yeah, but we were yeah. young. We were young, exactly. And I, I don't know about you, but I, especially given what I work in now, I, I truly, I, and I find it really complicated, well, not complicated, but difficult to say this because it, in the space that I work in, because of course, so many of us, you know, and, and actually so many women and men far worse than me have, have had really very severe, terrifying life experiences. Mm-hmm. Nonetheless, I always come back to a space where I just feel like everything happens for a reason. If you if you can, as I said before, go with the flow. I mean, I, I am here talking to you because of what's happened to me. Mm. You know, I've written my book because of what's happened mm-hmm. to me. So although I wouldn't wish it on anyone and I certainly wouldn't go back and say, yes, please, I'll choose that again. I can absolutely see that my life has unfolded in a way that has allowed me to learn and grow from, from these horrible things and from my mistakes. 
I think you made an important point, though, which I did want to touch on is um, like misunderstandings about what we mean about trauma, because, of course, you have these big catastrophic life events that we can easily put into a trauma box. But as we all know, it's so often the much smaller I think you call it do you call it small t traumas where I call it other t other people call them small tree t but I think it's um I don't know just a bit well it minimizes it doesn't it because they're not small at all no and and you know so often when you are in a in probably in a trauma response but when things happen you're like why can't I deal with this you know I've seen friends dealing with much bigger things or I've dealt with much bigger things but this this bump in the road is the one that has absolutely triggered me so yeah can you talk a bit about the mis the misunderstandings about what we mean what we say what we mean when we say trauma yeah, so so when we say trauma, I think what's happened is that trauma, the word trauma has been kind of synonymous and kind of glooped together with PTSD. <sighs> so so when we think PTSD, and we've got that vision of the, the veteran returning from Afghanistan, you know, with, with severe PTSD, they've kind of moved together. They're actually not the same thing. PTSD is an outcome of trauma, but trauma itself is a reaction that happens in the moment to any experience that makes us feel well, first of all, threatened. So we'll perceive a threat. Of course, that can be within a relationship, right? If you, if you if you jump back into the childhood context, that could be dad's always shouting or mum's never here or mum and dad are getting divorced. It could, you know, that all that's happening is we're perceiving a threat and that's really subjective. That's mm. such a subjective experience. What th- feels like a threat to me may not feel like a threat to you and vice versa. Yeah. So we perceive a threat and then the, the threat, we, we we kind of do the maths and we decide subconsciously that we don't have the resources available to deal with that threat, i.e. we're really overwhelmed and we feel really out of control. So it's, it's those three things pulling together. And I, the reason I use those terms is because they're really human mm. and I think we can all understand how it feels. But really what's going on is our survival me- mechanism is triggered in a way that means it doesn't resolve. So we go up into fight, flight, uh, freeze, fall, and collapse, or, or you know, up or down. Mm. Um, and and what needs to happen is that the the cycle is completed. So we'll go up or we'll go down, and then we come back to the middle space where our system can regulate. That is regulation. Mm. But what happens is because it felt felt so big and so overwhelming, uh, we can't do that. So we kind of stay stuck in the response. Oh, yeah. Yeah. which is a relatable and and then the, from what I was hearing even in relation to your story is things can come become challenging when you layer stuff on top of that so in your case you added in an eating disorder or because in the, the ways we find to try and mask or cope with that response be, be, ends up yeah shaping things even further yeah exactly and I and linked to that, traumas kind of stack up on top of each other because once you've had one, you're in the zone. Mm. You're you're hyper vigilant. You're so you've you've moved into this threat perception that is going to pick up on more threats. You're going to notice more things potentially being wrong, things that could harm you, things that could hurt you within relationships or not. And then you and then of course you're going to dive back into the response. So they all it, it's almost like you just go up, 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 up. And people, I spend so long talking to. Um, men and women who have had an, an adult trauma and who contact me and say, there was absolutely nothing wrong with my childhood. That there, you know, I had this standalone experience. And as a researcher, I can say that that, that can happen, but it's really, really rare. Yeah. 
Really? Usually, if there's an adult trauma, so if we have a traumatic reaction to something in adulthood, usually it means that there was an experience beforehand. That has shaped that. That has shaped that, exactly. That kind of, um, yes, that, that, that changed almost the way that your system operated. Mm-hmm. You know, your nervous system when you were younger would have organized itself to protect you. Uh, and the hypervigilance is about that. The avoiding your feelings is about that. Avoiding other people, going inwards. These, these are all protective. Um, that they, they link right back to the nervous system and to that response. They're all about protecting us. So when that happens and you've gone into that space, uh, you're just much more likely to then go on and have a trauma later in life. Interesting. And and the, the difficult thing is because this happens at such a like foundational part of your life, it, it's difficult well, I definitely know when my anxiety spiraled to a point to know where my personality was and traits that are me and where the the, the anxiety disorder was because you begin to inhabit them so much don't you or well, they inhabit you yeah 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 it's, it's awful um I was reading something yesterday actually about um how anxiety it's really helpful if we all consider anxiety to be an an unresolved or an unfinished fight flight freeze response mm-hmm. Um, and was kind of explaining how that can be helpful. Anyway, that's that's kind of by the by. But I, I agree that the so a key part of what I do with with women, I predominantly work with men, women, is to help them differentiate, so separate from the reaction. Mm-hmm. And it's all about creating that space. So we, often we've been inhabiting this world where we think I, I am an anxious person. Or I am this, I am that. And actually the, the healing starts as you can help them stand back and observe. Yeah. It's, it's amazing and it's so powerful. It really is. It's, I've got gooses as I yeah. talk about it because as soon as people can do that, when they've pulled back into their kind of adult self, you know, their, their core self, and they can actually watch as soon as that separation happens, I know that they are uh, developing a, sel- a, a separate sense of self to the trauma mm-hmm. and that they're on the road to recovery essentially and then they can employ I don't want to I guess it is kind of the rational mind the adult mind who can uh, who can pick things apart rather than yeah being in a response situation exactly that's exactly how I view it is you do you, what I'm constantly trying to do is 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 show people that that everything their experience is coming from the subconscious it's a younger version mm. of themselves and their adult self is over here. It's still here. We just need to find ways to reconnect yeah. to it. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's interesting because actually often for me, part of the process is just sorting it through in my head, speaking it out loud. And that that is for me, my tra- I think one of my trauma responses is, is to feel like when I respond to trauma, when I feel dismissed or unheard, that that is my kind of flashpoint. So actually all all it takes for me sometimes is someone to say, oh yeah, I'm hearing what you're saying, whether it's, you know, founded in reality or not, is kind of irrelevant, it's just being heard. But it, but it is a process of, of having to pick through things, isn't it? It is, and I just love that you've got that insight about yourself, because if we could all have that, everything would be better, right? Mm. All our relationships would be better. And I think in a parenting context, I'm sure you've talked about that a lot on this podcast, but I would say anyone listening is that that is just such a great, thing to remember Mm. you know trauma often springs from 
in a childhood context, it springs from us feeling unseen, unheard, unacknowledged. Mm. So our feelings aren't validated. And it, it leads to this, uh, essentially, it can lead to, well, it leads to a trauma response and a shame-based uh, self, sense of self, because we're kind of looking inwards. Mm. Um, so to any parents listening, you know, I sound like a parrot when I talk to my kids sometimes because I'm just co- I'm just constantly mirroring what they say. Okay, I hear you. You fit, you know, I may not agree with it. I mm. might think it's, you know, but it's always just reflecting back to them so that they feel seen. Mm. Yeah, that's a really important thing. I think I learned, I think from Anna May there about, you know, I understand why you're, why you want a magazine in the supermarket. I understand why you feel like you want it. What isn't okay is you then kicking me because you can't have it but you know that you've got to try and break break up these things haven't you because you do yeah I'm really you know I've recently had kids birthdays and one sibling being so envious of the other and you can't say to them you can't feel envious we actually all completely relate to watching your sibling get a really good present but what isn't okay is to snatch it and I think beginning to separate yeah feelings and and behaviors out is really helpful Oh, totally, and and it link it just it links so highly to shame, doesn't mm. it? Just if 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 we don't, all they're hearing is that their natural impulse and instinct, i.e., them, this thing that's mm. kind of pulling out of them, pushing out of them, is wrong. So you have to always um, connect, don't you, to connect to that, to reassure them almost that that thing that you're feeling is completely human. I make up, don't tell my kids this, but I'm constantly making up stories about so that they can feel my connect, my connection to them. Really? So in the moment, it's not like I make up stories, but I'll say, oh, God, I remember, I re- totally remember that feeling. Mm. You know, I wrote, oh, I remember feeling so envious on my brother's birthday or whatever it mm-hmm. might be. And you can see just the relief. Oh, thank God. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not wrong. I'm not bad. Yeah, it's so interesting because, you know, if you consider, I've considered myself pretty tuned into my feelings and which I'm assuming I always was. But if you're told that you shouldn't be feeling things, whether they're positives, negatives, it's a very confusing thing because it's like, but I am feeling it, whether, whether I should, it should show up in the way it does. And then, as you say, if you begin to invalidate that, when something genuinely bad happens and you feel threatened or scared, you, I guess you're then questioning those responses as well. Totally. Totally. I find it so interesting. I think we're diving off trauma now. I am. One one thing this I've worked with this incredible somatic therapist and she does a lot of work with families mm-hmm. and helping parents. And we've worked with my shame and helped me kind of move through it. And and then we had amazing conversations about how our children, my kids might feel it or experience it. And she got me to play around with saying, I love you so much when. I don't know if you've done this. No. I love you so much when. When they make a mistake mm. so going to bed and saying so I said to my daughter she got kicked out of music yesterday and as she went to bed I said oh I love every single part of you I love you so much when you're kicked out of music and you saw you just saw this mm. like oh because you do I love her so much when she's kicked out of music I'd really like it if she wasn't kicked yes. out of music again but I love that you know mm. I love that she was so overwhelmed and got told off and we've all been there and I, I I love that. Yeah, it's and really I, gorgeous. I playing around with it, yeah. It's really gorgeous. And it, and it stops that kind of sitting in 
sitting in their bodies, doesn't it, as they go to bed exactly. that night, that guilt. And, you know, yeah. what we want to do is raise kids who know where the lines are on, on what is appropriate behaviour, but not that then layer on this shame and, and self-loathing. And, and that's where it begins to, yeah, to... It's really, it is all related to trauma, though, isn't it? I think because, yes, it is. Yeah. Because, yeah. um, going back to the different kinds of trauma, I think for me, when I was finding myself stuck with anxiety and, and feeling like, particularly for me, it was that like I couldn't move past my parents' divorce. I kept on saying to myself, Look, look come on, you're, you're 40. Why, why is what happened to you when you're 12 still bothering you? And, and feeling like I didn't deserve to seek help about it because I because it wasn't as bad as what had happened to other people and mm. therefore I should be able to cope with it. And then the problem is these things just stay with you. That's exactly it. And I think I'm really tempted to do some kind of study on everyone that I see because, not obviously including names, but just the stats, because I would say that 100% of the women that come to see me say, but my it, it wasn't that bad. And and that is ir- totally irrespective of what they've experienced. Mm. So it's it's incredible. So what that has taught me is that that response is not about the thing. Mm. It's about, you know, a key part of trauma is denying it and minimizing it. It's mm. how we've stayed safe and protected ourselves for years. So to t- suddenly turn that around and say, actually, I don't think that was okay. Mm. And I don't think I was all right. That step is huge. Mm-hmm. But isn't it so fascinating because their instinct has got them to me. So their instinct, they, they know they're not okay. Yeah. So they've crossed that line. But still, I mean, I have one client and I would say a year and a half later, we are still every few weeks. But it wasn't that But I don't understand it wasn't that bad. And between you and I, it really was. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just, that's what we do. Mm. We, it, it's too big. We've protected ourselves by ignoring it. Yeah. And yeah, so true. And actually, a kind of good measure of it is like, would you wish it on your children? And and if you wouldn't, then then it's definitely worth dealing with. And actually, if, if we are talking about childhood trauma, you haven't got at that point, you haven't got adult, rational, experienced minds to be able to rationalise it. So, of course, it felt bad. You know, as we're saying, watching a sibling get getting a present that you wanted feels bad losing your favorite teddy feels like a catastrophe so of course if you get something that is a next level up yeah divorces death whatever it genuinely is in that tiny person's life earth shattering totally and and I think that's been the amazing thing working within trauma over the last 15 years seeing this shift and and all of us understanding that childhood trauma is very common and I know that might that might frighten parents listening, mm. but it is because if you think of those things, so perceiving a threat, feeling overwhelmed, feeling out of control, if you zoom back to childhood and remember how it feels to be seven and how often you felt a bit threatened mm-hmm. and out of control and overwhelmed, you can suddenly feel like, okay, this is something we actually all need to take seriously. Mm-hmm. It's not about the severity of the event or... I shouldn't say that because, of course, there are certain experiences that are so severe that almost all of us will have a traumatic reaction to them. But then there is this these much more nuanced experiences, uh, other T traumas, as I call them, that um, they're not going to affect everyone. Not everyone is going to perceive it as a threat. Mm -hmm. But if your kid does and then moves into overwhelm and feels really out of control, that's when you're potentially going to be dealing with a traumatic reaction. Mm -hmm. So 
recognizing what that looks like and not being afraid of it. I think that's a funny thing. People often say to me, God, it's so depressing. Aren't you so depressed working in trauma? What a depressing thing to have dedicated your life to. (laughs) And I get that. I do get that if you stand back here, it doesn't look great. But when you work within the field, you know it's completely healable. It's completely fixable. You know, it, it, it really is. I, I stand here so hopeful knowing that it can be okay. It, it, it is okay. It's always okay. You know, as we said, it, it just is. And the body wants to heal, but mm. understanding how to help the nervous system regulate, rebalance and discharge that traumatic energy is the journey, but it can be done. And now a quick break to talk to you about a new jewellery brand called Anna Louisa. As you may or may not know, I live in a gold hoop. I think I started wearing them at the end of school, which by my calculations is 20 years ago. 20, how can that be? And I haven't deviated much since. I've always got at least one set of gold hoops, often several. So imagine my delight when I was introduced to Ana Luisa. That's A-N-A-L-U-I-S-A as a new place to stock up on jewellery. Is it a pleasing price point too? It's nice enough to feel lovely to wear and to know that it'll stay in good nick, but not so pricey that you're afraid to wear it. Items start at about 35 quid. If you're in the market for some new bits, I've been living in a style called Venus, which are a mid-sized hoop. Also look at the Suzanne Huggies. It's what I've currently got in my second and third piercings. And that's not all. I've got a cheeky discount code for you too. Using but why will get you 10% off and there's a link in the show notes to make it even easier. The website is analuisa.com, A-N-A-L-U-I-S-A.com. I absolutely recommend them. Beautiful, sustainable jewellery, and there are lots of gold hoops. Yeah, that's it. it. And the problem is what we can do is, again, to make it personal, I spent so much energy trying to find coping strategies, trying to you know work my way through it, and that if I'd only have known earlier to put that energy into the healing not the covering things up yeah it it would have been a lot better so how do if someone's listening and thinking this resonates and as we're suggesting it probably resonates with more people than it doesn't resonate with Mm -hmm. and again especially when you get to motherhood I think that does throw all this stuff up partly because you're on your back foot all your resource resources are down and you makes you yeah revisit your childhood but what is the the thing that people can begin to do to heal themselves I mean, what would I say? I think the first thing is to slow down. So if we if we come back to that point that I made where we're, we're trying to find that capacity to observe, the capacity to pull back and see that that's really the start point for me and anyone I'm working with, that's what we do is, okay, well, what's going on? I don't need to see it. You need to be able to see it in mm-hmm. the moment. So I think it's almost making yourself your new project mm-hmm. it's, it's it's giving yourself permission to slow down and be curious so that's the key word when you work in trauma that's the word we use be curious about your reactions move towards them with what is this mm. what am I doing why am I overreacting mm-hmm. why am I suddenly feeling ashamed mm-hmm. if you can move towards them with curiosity they'll continue to open up whereas the moment that you judge you know that comes from a place of fear of course so it all just closes down and and if anything, it, the reaction will become worse. So uh, almost curious observation is the place yeah. to start. 
and begin to you begin to see patterns don't you so yeah you yeah. may say it might say oh, I'm just an anxious person what could happen is you begin to see that it's always at a moment probably when you feel a lack of control what however that manifests you can begin to see the the thread that comes through it yeah exactly so you begin if you can do this over a week over two weeks you will gently begin to see the patterns okay I'm not always anxious actually mm. When did I feel safe? Who was I with? What was I doing? Was I on my own? What were the kids doing? You know, it's just, it's beginning to pull things apart because what we, what we would do as we, as we heal you and as your body, which you can do at home, we, what's happened is that over, over time, if we live with trauma, if we have a trauma history, our entire system has uh, built itself around protecting you, as I said before, and finding threats. So, you're basically only noticing the problems, the things that might go wrong, um, how crap you are, what you haven't done. Mm. And, and, and that is not you. So I know it might feel like it's you, but it's not you. That is a pattern of perception that has come directly from the trauma. So to heal, we have to begin looking over here. Mm. So it's really simple stuff is, you know, on a somatic level, it's sitting in the sun and really feeling it. And trying to expand that good feeling. And, and even if you're in huge freeze response, huge collapse, huge freeze, freeze response or, or fight response, then I'll say to people, where's the safe place? Mm. Where in your body, where, where feels okay? Nowhere feels okay. I absolutely promise mm. you that somewhere, even if it's just your butt cheek, mm-hmm. somewhere feels okay. So we move to that space and then we expand it. So that the there are maybe odd examples, but I'm, I'm trying to explain that what, what we do is we're, we're trying to just gently rebalance and, and widen. I, I, it, you're supposed to call it the window of tolerance. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the kind of official somatic name for it, but I call it the lovely middle space because it is that's where we're try, trying to regulate back to. Mm-hmm. So you may be down here in freeze, you may be up here in fight flight at multiple times during the day. How can we move you back gently into this lovely middle space? Because mm. what we're trying to do is create that rhythm again. Yeah. And for whatever reason, your body can't naturally do it itself. So you're going up and staying up or down and staying down. So we need to help your body find that rhythm again. And as you do, neuroplasticity takes over. Mm-hmm. And in a year or so, you won't need to try so hard. No, because you're just reteaching yourself. Yeah. That's it, reteaching yeah. the system, yeah. And and kind of, again, for me, having done CBT type therapy, I, I just needed to begin to prove to myself otherwise. So when my anxiety got the worst, I suddenly got this crippling fear of going on the tube from, from nowhere, mm. which I now understand why. It's control. And it was, it, yeah, it was terrible. And then I did a lot of CBT and then I went skiing. <laughs> I got stuck in a um, ski lift. <laughs> which if you're if this is your fear I was like well now the worst possible thing has happened and I'm fine <laughs> and, <laughs> and was, but you 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 need to convince I need to have proof points to myself and as you say you have to spot them as you in a day's parenting when you feel utterly out of control but actually in the shower in the morning you you feel great like even if it's this three minutes there was a moment where I I I I feel comfortable and you just begin to Mm. loop those proof points back to yourself don't you you do exactly and because I think so many of us we we do live in this very black and white everything's awful Mm. everything's okay you often find I mean that's really I'm 
using addiction speak there, but they're, they're overlaid. You know, if, if you've got a trauma history, it's not that everyone's an addict, but it, it, trauma is all about um, uh, kind of you develop these habits, these pathways that become really deeply ingrained, mm. which sounds a lot like addiction, doesn't it? So, so they, it's not necessarily, I'm not talking about substances, but what you find is that people become stuck Mm -hmm. that's the word we use for trauma isn't it so they've become stuck in these pathways and in these behaviors these thoughts these feelings which is very addictive we all become addicted to that that space Mm. it's very uncomfortable for people if you're used to overthinking and I dare to suggest to a client how about we practice not doing that it's it's so deeply wedded to who they are that it's it's so hard to separate separate from and even suggest that they have a choice over it yeah So, so what I'm trying to say is that so so finding even even noticing that you had a nice time in the shower is is so helpful mm. because we, we've been stuck over here so what we need to do is is help notice you know notice when do I feel okay and then as you say you can pull pull that into the day yes almost on a on a timer okay well now how can I do that I haven't felt okay for an hour what can I do to help my body feel safe and you're right it's it begins to shape your entire perception you know you can have a day that is disastrous or you can come back and say well there were a few uh, challenging moments in that but otherwise it was an all right day but you you set this dialogue for yourself otherwise don't you that oh all the bad things always happen to me everything's a challenge I'm having a terrible time uh, yeah and as you say really other than acute moments in your, your life but even in the acute moments you know when people die there are sometimes some magic moments in that you've got to try and yeah remind yourself of, of the okay bits in everything you definitely do it's such a good example you know even in, in grief we can go and sit in the sun mm. we can, we can feel sad and be okay mm. we can feel grief and be okay you know, and, that, and that's that's it's it's such a, a beautiful, simple term, really, isn't it? Okayness mm. um, is separate to feeling angry or sad or or happy, even. It's it's just I'm okay. I wonder whether we've all done ourselves a disservice by as well striving for these these brilliantly perfect things all the time. And you know, again, the older you get, the more you do think, oh, I just want a bit of a normality, a bit of average. <laughs> Oh, totally. Oh, Neil and I talk about that all the time, actually. <laughs> Why we are so completely set on living in the fast lane. So we often use that analogy of like, why do we do it so so and then it gets too much so we're up here we're doing a lot we're taking on projects we're moving countries Mm -hmm. you know whatever it might be and then there's a moment where one of us is like oh no too much time out Uh, this has just all got too much and we come back into the middle lane Mm. and and then we calm but somehow not somehow it's trauma it's patterning it's you know we always will move back up there so we have to be very very honest with ourselves and each other about that mechanism to move up we're desperately trying to just stay in the middle lane at yeah the moment. Why, why, you know why am I doing that kind of chomping at the bit thing to push things yeah. to make things a bit more difficult the moment you can kind yeah. of breathe the moment you can kind of breathe exactly. I, I go to put I put something else on my plate and it's, oh, it's, yeah and then Neil does it what was just, so we're just starting to settle we've only been back in the country six months we're in our house which I love I love my house I've missed it and he was like oh I found this great property to do up in the middle of the country 
and it, I could feel my like head about to explode. It's like no middle lane. Like we do not need that. No. I get that it would be exciting. I get we might make money. I get it's creative, and you know that's that's all lovely, great stuff. But also there is such joy, health, and sanity mm. in keeping things small mm, and safe you know so it's, it's small and safe yeah and it's finding that balance isn't it because obviously we all want to you know all those lovely things we want to find you know find our purpose and live our purpose and create and you know and, and make the most of every day but at the same time as you say I wonder if we've done the number on ourselves a little bit yeah and you're right maybe that is all this it is all a bit of a trauma response it's difficult because as we've acknowledged sometimes these things are useful sometimes whatever it is in me that makes me put my foot down has served me very well and that's that's actually the weird thing with coping strategies like hypervigilance has has sorted me out on many many occasions it's kept it's 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 been a linchpin to some of my success so then that's why I'm picking this can sometimes be quite difficult because you have to accept coming back from that yeah extreme behavior I love that I think that's so true I've 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 been doing this amazing work recently with a internal family systems therapist she's great and we've been talking about exactly that so that the positive things that that come from that come from these these kind of adaptations mm-hmm. and and how we need to show them respect you know because they've they've kept us alive or they've done a job and and she said you really need to show them respect because ultimately they're in charge and it's it's only if they're on on your side wow. that they are going to play ball and the moment you push against them the moment you criticize they're going to stick two fingers up and and make life really hard yeah so it's it's saying yep yeah, I, I can see what you're doing now you're beginning to try and control something that's yeah. fine can you do it in a bit more of a, a, a gentle way I think is what I have to do is like go yeah yeah how can we gain control but not take all the all the air out of something so that it's utterly rigid yeah totally it's just so important because that to me is healing mm-hmm. you know and standing in front of someone and saying you need to be radically different or completely different is the opposite of healing it there has to be self-acceptance like that that is that is that is the piece of it isn't it yeah. accept who you are accept all the little foibles none of us are perfect it just moved as I said before you know move towards things with curiosity with self-compassion and if you can it's, it's, it's almost like that's enough it's like you change your gaze mm. and suddenly everything's okay and everything's manageable mm. And similarly, as you're talking, I'm thinking I spent a long time wishing that some of the traumatic things happened to me hadn't happened. And then you just go, you cannot, you cannot rewrite history. You you cannot. What you can do is learn from it, and in particular in the way that we try and parent. But there's a there's a really difficult thing as a parent. We aren't going to keep our kids out of trauma. They, they will have, um, we can try our best, but if living life is probably to to experience some traumatic things. Yeah, I mean, all of us experience the survival response. It's part of being human. We experience it multiple times a month, a week, mm. you know, depending on our personality. It might even be more, not personality, but our, our kind of genetic makeup. So, of course, they they will go into fight, flight, freeze. Um, that may be coupled with overwhelm and they might feel overwhelmed and they may have a trauma response and that's okay. You know, it, it's especially okay with kids. They're just so... Um, resilient you know if, if you if you tool up on you know really 
un- begin to understand and educate yourself around what nervous system regulation is, what it looks like. You know, I was talking about that rhythm. Mm. That's really how how you help kids heal trauma. That they they're stuck, so we need to help them find that rhythm again. It doesn't necessarily mean big deep conversations. In fact, with kids, it often doesn't. No. It's about helping them by allowing them to express what they need to express, however they need to express it, and helping them learn to regulate, mm. helping their bodies learn to regulate. Yeah, and it's interesting as well, helping them feel what's going on. This is a bit different, but one of my kids doesn't get on very well with sugar, if it, if I'm honest. You know, it, it makes him extremely angry. So I'm not going to ban sugar from him, but I have started saying to him afterwards, I just want you to acknowledge how you're feeling now half an hour later do you is this a nice feeling for you and maybe think about it next time and similarly it's like oh I I can see that you're feeling overwhelmed there's there's something that we can do about it why don't we get outside and go for a run why don't you get in the bath And, and and it's just giving them some of that dialogue around feelings and body sensations I think yeah I think so too and also trusting that it's all going in because yes. I think that's yes. a really important thing because there's there's that um, incredible, like, oh, awful dynamic, isn't it? Where that they won't admit, you know, or sometimes they do, of course, if they're in the right mood, but so what mood, but so often it's mum suggested it. So I'm definitely not going to do no. that. Mum thinks I should go for a run. So instead, I'm going to sit here tapping my fingers. Yeah, trying to get on a screen. Um, trying to get on a screen. Exactly. But my experience of parenting and everything I've read about parenting Mm -hmm. and you know all of the parenting experts that I know would say the same thing which is that you keep saying it and you model it Mm -hmm. if you keep saying it and you model it it's all going in Mm -hmm. and they will swing back round to it and that has been my experience I I, um I went past um my son's room uh a while ago and and he was doing polyvagal breathing so he was doing the like vu breath I did if I'd have gone in he would have been phenomenally angry. And, 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 and if I asked him about it, he would probably say, no, I never did that. I never listened to you, mum. Don't even really like you, mum. But it's it there. went in. You know, I had just been, I'd been modelling it. So I do it when I'm in the kitchen, if I'm feeling a bit anxious. Um, I've talked to him about it. And then there was a moment in which he tried it out. And that was like, yes, it's going in. I'm doing something right. Doing something right. Oh, thank God. Yeah, I mean, it's exactly an equivalent of, of cleaning the teeth, you know. We can't clean their teeth forever, but what we can do is clean our teeth and talk, try and get them to clean their teeth. And then yeah. at some point, it's, it's their gig, isn't it? And we have to hand it over. But it, it's really hard yeah. when you're deeply in parenting. And as we've acknowledged, it's a space which does throw up a lot of trauma to, to know whether you're doing the right thing. But when you occasionally ladder back, and again, I try and do this, look at my kids from afar and just be like, yeah, you're, I might not be the best parent, but fundamentally, something is going okay. Something's going okay. <laughs> I agree with that. I, I totally agree, and it's it is important. It's so it is so important just to stand back and because I think, well, and I suppose one thing we haven't spoken about really is 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 how triggering parenting mm. can be. You know that that's been a major issue for me over the last three years. Is I had done a piece of trauma work around something I thought I'd done my trauma work around something something happened with one of my kids and it triggered me oh my goodness it actually re-traumatized me it was it was it was awful and that came from day-to-day parenting so so one of my old traumas popped up greatly impacted my kids my family my my health my recovery and and that's that's why we all need to look at this stuff Mm. because if 
you know, and if anyone listening is, you're having a huge reaction to something that's going on in your kids' lives, mm-hmm. I, I would really, really, really urge you to to lovingly just consider the idea that you might be being triggered, mm-hmm. i.e. it might be reminding your subconscious, your body of something that happened to you when you were a kid uh, or around you when you mm-hmm. were a kid, you know, it wasn't necessarily even directly with you and that that's where the reaction's coming from. Um, yeah, yeah, it's important. I was going to ask you what the one piece of advice is, but th- I think that is the perfect one piece of advice that we do, I think, in ourselves know if our reaction is disproportionate to what we're, what we're seeing. I think you can usually get there, but just also not just to accept that this is the way it has to be. I think that is mm-hmm. such a false narrative. You know, oh, you know, I've got to this age, this is me now. It's a bit rubbish, but I'll carry, I'll soldier on. They have, there really can be a different way, and and you can begin to see positive changes quite quickly. It might not be the healing work, but it's it, it things can feel better, can't they? Oh, definitely. I I, I just I'm, I'm working with one guy, and he is seventy five, and I respect him so much. I, I mean, I respect him so much. It makes me feel really emotional yeah. when I say that because I just. I just I'm a bit lost for words but I just I respect Mm. him you know and his his self-respect and desire to heal yeah you know and I would say to anyone if he can do it you can do Mm. it and it it is never ever ever too late and especially in the sphere of parenting um you know even if your kids are 30 if if you do your work or 40 or whatever you know if you do your work and change that dynamic you you will transform your relationship and yourself yeah and transform your life mm. yeah I mean good on him and it, yeah. it's such a, uh, a gift of self-love is really banded around so much but it's a, a gift of reparenting yourself isn't it and and having enough this is a problem sometimes seeking help you have to have enough of a sense of self-worth to know that you deserve it which is why it becomes complicated but everybody deserves to yeah to feel closer to being healed everybody deserves to feel okay absolutely and I think and it's that you know it's interesting isn't it what sparks that like you say because it's it's really hard because I think so many people don't think they deserve help Mm. or they think they're beyond help which I suppose is kind of linked together Mm -hmm. so that that chink of light that that doorway I'm I'm so interested in what that is you know, how, how can we communicate to people? I, I know, I know it can be okay. I know it will be okay. Mm-hmm. I know you'll heal. I know you'll be okay. I know you, you can even thrive, you know, after trauma, after some really dark stuff, I see it all the time. Um, not because these people are more resilient than whoever might be listening to this, needing to hear it, but because they, they just took the step. Mm-hmm. They made the call. You know, there was something in them that got them to cross the line. Mm-hmm. And that's, oh, I thought if we could figure that out, Clemmy, we'd be able to help so many people because they're the people I want to cross mm. the line. I want them to call. Just, you know, I want them to email after this and just say, all right, then, what's this about? I had a great email actually from someone in Australia. I think it was last week. It was a guy who said, I'm enjoying your book. I think it's, I think your book's great. I really appreciate you, you writing it. And I'm really intrigued. But just so you know, I don't think you can heal from trauma. Any thoughts? Oh. Well, um... like, okay, but I, I really appreciate him getting in touch, you know, because essentially what he's saying is I've been really hurt and 
my experiences haven't been great with healing. What now? So he's crossed the line. Mm. You know, he's given me an opportunity to say, okay, what have you done so far? What about this? You know, the fact that he emailed is the is the door. That's isn't what it? I was about to say. Even yeah. by saying that, you know, that's exactly about me going, you can't rewrite history. Right. Accept that. Not not to say that you accept the consequences or that it and you don't need to say it was okay, but it that is actually sometimes a bit of the solid ground that becomes your your starting point to, to move towards something. So I think I think he's created his own in resisting the idea of your book. He's yeah, he's um he's started on his journey, I think. Exactly. That's exactly what I mean. However he's done it in whatever language, yeah. with whatever energy attached to it, he sent the email so that is you know he's moved into it exactly which is amazing whatever works not just as a a shameless promo but your book is is a if you know if you don't want to go into therapy or that doesn't feel like the next step your book is a way of beginning to explore this and and see if anything resonates yeah absolutely and I the reason I wrote the book um is because my experience of of most books about trauma not all of them but the vast majority is that they're really really heavy and can be and if they're not really really heavy they're heavy because they're very scientific so they're just I just didn't find them very accessible Mm -hmm. you know I really didn't and so my the main thing I wanted to do as I wrote the book was 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 write in a way that just felt really accessible to people easy to read and and I think I've achieved it yeah. You know, I'm I'm really pleased with that. And some people say, oh, gosh, it was just so easy to read as if it was a bad thing. And I think, yes, mm. you know, I just I wanted people to be able to just devour it, just yeah. start to finish. And yeah, so so it's although it's not the comfiest of subject matters, I would say that I I've written about it in such a way that allows you to feel as comfortable as you're going to get with this topic. Yeah it's very gentle it really is gentle because yeah. as as we joked at the beginning it's not you know it's been my bedtime reading for the last couple yeah. of days but I, I yeah I don't find it overwhelming at all I just find it very human and very gentle great oh it's good feedback um two things before we go number one where can people find you please uh where can people I'm everywhere really <laughs> So where where am I? So my website is www.sarahwoodhouse.com and Instagram and Facebook. I'm at the Sarah Woodhouse. And on Twitter, I'm at SN underscore Woodhouse. There you go. If you can find her in yeah. those places. Find me there, yeah. Yeah. And you haven't you just um, launched a program? Uh, what is it? Haven't you just launched something? that? Yeah. Yeah, I've that, just launched a program. Give that oh, a little plug. Oh, it's so great. I'll happily give it a plug because it's just going so well. It's called the Freedom Process. Um, and I've got the first cohort moving through it at the moment. So I've got about 25, 27 women uh, moving through it. And it's all designed to help you regulate your nervous system. So there's a lot of somatic work in there, um, but also um, help you do your trauma work in a really gentle, gentle, gentle way. So it's somatic exercises alongside uh, kind of written work, really. And then there's some group stuff as well. But I'm so proud of it. Well done. And it's working well. People are responding really well. So what it, are you, a week into that? A couple of weeks into We are three weeks oh, in. Oh, okay. So it's three kind of in, finding yeah. its feet now. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, how yeah. long has that been in your head for? Two years. Yeah. Two years. So I think my giddiness, aside from anything, is, I mean, and you must know what this feels like, it's, when you have an idea and then suddenly it's out there it's 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 
bizarre it's and incredible. It's happening. It's just happening. This thing I've talked about and worked about and squirreled my way, you know, yeah. different research papers and could I add this and should I add that? Suddenly it's there and you can see all the bits weaving together. Yeah. It's the loveliest feeling, isn't it? Oh, and yeah, and it, it, your brain goes into a very different space because now you can begin to figure it out based on reality rather than hold, trying to hold in your head a, an imagined version of something is so hard. Yeah, thanks for saying that. I didn't... Because the only prior experience I've had of that was the book, and it's obviously quite different because you've got the draft there. It's just not at all the same. And I, this is the first time I've I've launched something like this. So yeah, that, that's what I've been doing. I've had two years of imagining, and it's so much easier now. It's up and running to tweak, and so now I really get the whole thing of just do it. Yeah. Now I get it when people are like, just start, just yeah. start it, and and I don't I don't think I'd understood the value of that until until this course. So well done. You you got to wonder whether like some of the difficult time you've had recently has been the nudge, you know, with Australia has been the nudge to this. So I'm sure it has. I'm work. sure that it has. Exactly. It all works out. My last question is if you could have an honest conversation with one person, who would it be and what would you say? Oh. Can one. I just say exactly who popped into my head? Yeah. Oh no, I always mess these up. I should say no, someone. No. No. Do, the, do okay? the unedited one because it's best. Do the unedited yeah. one. Okay, weirdly, I'm I'm totally obsessed with Scientology. I'm not a Scientologist. The, the, my main genre of documentary is ones about weird cults. Really? I'm just so fascinated. Maybe in a past life yeah. I was in a weird cult. I don't know. I'm fascinated in it. So I would have an hour with Tom Cruise and ask him great. all about Scientology. That's a great one. <laughs> so I, I do. Isn't the, I don't know whether the intrigue for me about cults is because like with any of the extremities of life, it's that we. I always feel like I could end up in a different way in a different time you, we, you could end up there you know <laughs> totally totally because I've got I've had my moments mm. I've never I've never been on the verge of joining a cult but I've definitely you know I've done the ashram thing I've done this yeah so I think and, and my spirituality is really important to me so anything that's kind of gone next level with that I'm just fascinated yeah. by it and we all could exactly I'm sure yeah and and you know on, on the one hand I'm sure these things are really alien but there'll be things in the middle of it that we can relate to it's shared values shared ideas shared passions and then they yeah they tend to get extreme well I wasn't expecting you to answer that what a fantastic answer <laughs> who knew <laughs> I didn't before I said you <laughs> definitely can't edit those those answers though because that is like the, the truest one I realized that you never told me what your favorite crisp was either and it'll bug me if I don't know oh my favorite crisp I'm gonna go old school and say hula hoop oh yeah Oh really? my goodness, putting them on your fingers. Yeah, brilliant. Ready salted so ones or ready salted, yeah. just ready salted, yeah. straight down the line. Yeah, they're quite hard. But maybe that's they just show, quite showing them a bit of favourite. I mean uh, ready salted walkers probably. Okay. Oh yeah, another classic. Yeah, I mean uh, yeah, Chris, most crisps are pretty good. <laughs> it's it, they're your genre of food. Yeah, yeah, reliably good, but yeah, uncomplicated. Not things like pom bears now, which make me shudder because they smell of sort of like the early yeah. parenting Awful. days. Ah, well, I've got a few feelings going on now. Number one, it's very, very nice to see Sarah's face. Yeah, I think we might have last seen each other either outside the school gates or in Barmed, which is where I spent a long time drinking watermelon Bacardi breezes. That was my tipple of choice at that time. But aside from that, I, I found it really fascinating to unpick trauma, in particular to get your head around the fact that this is in the foundations of, of many of us and how we go about things and 
that trauma doesn't have to be on a sliding scale. It's about how it shows up in your body. And more importantly, that it's something that can be healed or in part be healed and that we don't need to let it continue to shape our lives. Sarah's book really is brilliant and it's a great starting point to begin to unpick it and to understand where and how that might be showing up because it might not be the places you expect. So I really do recommend it. And that's a wrap. Thank you to Sarah for being my guest and for you guys to list, for listening. As ever, I'm always keen to hear from you. The email is butwhy at Telford, and rate and review and share the episode. That makes a huge difference to trying to get it in more people's ears. I am now off to try and get some sunshine. I can see it shining through the window. So I'm going to have my lunch outside, try and get a bit of vitamin D. Wishing you a lovely day and catch up with you next time. Bye-bye.